Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. He was surprised that the uh, that the documents uh, were there. Got a tornado. Possibly 20 to 30 houses that have been destroyed. We certainly support and are encouraged by any effort to support Ukraine. A resume he submitted to the Nassau County Republican Party was littered with lies. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a uh, Friday. Lots to talk about that. I got a great interview coming up with a gentleman named Delano Squires. And uh, very important. We have said often on News and Views that a big reason we have so many issues in our society so many issues with crime so many issues with drugs is uh, so many issues with sexual weirdness is because fathers have abandoned their call to be dads and husbands we'll be talking to delano squires about that in just a little bit uh sad news uh everyone has heard by now lisa marie presley the only child of elvis presley and his wife have uh, she's passed away at 54 years old and you you know the details i I don't want to sound callous but at at what point are we going to have some of these medical professionals begin to tell us don't lie to us give us the facts and I'm, i'm not trying to convince anyone one way or the other but when is someone going to come out and say could there be a nexus to these individuals passing away i mean last week we had uh, the uh, demar hamlin nearly die of a heart attack on the playing field um just last saturday I, i don't know if you caught this but a uh, ball player for Old Dominion, Emo Asini, collapsed on the uh, basketball floor 13 minutes into a game. Uh, again, I, I'm not saying it was related to the COVID vaccine or COVID, but uh, there are a lot of uh, credible doctors out there that are alarmed at the heart issues that are taking place. There are a lot of uh, issues related to blood clotting. Marie uh, Presley, Lisa Marie Presley is only 54 years old. I, 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 I don't know, I'm not making a claim, but it seems odd and weird to me and irresponsible to me that there isn't a deep dive into this. You would think People like Fauci would be leading the way, but nothing but crickets. If, and I say, if there is a nexus, should we not be aware? And I read these things online. You know, there's a lot of, uh, and it seems like on this issue, there are people that are dogmatical on both ends of the spectrum. Some people would say never get a vaccine. Others would say get multiple vaccines. And you're crazy if you don't get a vaccine. And some of these people that are pro-vaccine will say things like, well, you know, it's against the Hippocratic Oath for doctors to ever say anything. Well, no, it's not. Doctors say things all the time of 
how they speculate someone might uh, have their life endangered. I mean, there will be something that will come out on Lisa Marie, uh, Lisa Marie Presley, and you know they they've said it was cardiac arrest, but now now if it's the vaccine, they won't say anything likely, but anything other than the vaccine, they'll make it known. Governor Roy Cooper is upset with North Carolina House Republicans as they might amend a rule regarding overriding the governor's veto. Previously, to override a veto, legislators must wait until the second legislative day following notice of its placement on the calendar, creating a minimum of 48 hours before House members can vote on an override. Newly adopted House Resolution 1 does not contain that rule. In the North Carolina House, Republicans now hold 71 out of the 120 seats, one shy of a supermajority. It would take 72 to override. During his time in office, Cooper has vetoed more bills than all previous North Carolina governors combined. Now, granted, the veto power doesn't go all the way back to the beginning of time of North Carolina. It's, uh, but it, in the, it has been around for several decades, and uh, Cooper has, uh, he's number one. Hey, uh, not letting, quote, not letting the public know when the veto override votes will occur slaps democracy in the face and deceives citizen legislators who have overlapping work, family, and constituent responsibilities they could change if they had proper notice, Cooper said in a statement. It's a shame that House Republican leaders believe they can only override a veto through deception, surprise, and trickery. You know, perhaps Governor Cooper wants to make sure that he has this 48-hour window to twist arms, uh, which he's done in the past very well. I mean, you've, you've had votes in the past where Democrats have come over and voted with Republicans on particular issues. And then suddenly, when it comes time to override a veto, those votes disappear. Why? Oh, you know why. Because Cooper has gotten to them and has said, listen, if you expect to see any kind of support from the governor's office, if you see, expect to see any kind of financial support from the North Carolina Democrat Party, then you better vote the way I tell you to vote. Isn't it also interesting? Democrats play this type of political strategy all the time. You know, they, they figure out, I mean, we just, we saw it big time with Pelosi and Chuckles the Clown Schumer. Democrats play this all the time. When we Republicans object to when they play it, they're told, hey, elections have consequences. When Republicans play the political strategy, they're accused of, quote, from the governor, slapping democracy in the face and deceiving citizen legislators. Under the new rule, Democrats would need to be careful about skipping voting sessions if they want to uphold Cooper's vetoes. Even if one Democrat votes with Republicans, or if two don't show up, uh, Republicans would be able to override. Now, chances are they're going to be able to override uh, a number of votes anyway. Uh, Again, they will only need one Democrat and, uh, you know, when it comes to votes concerning uh, uh, the abortion issue, the pro-life issue, will we have some uh, Democrats that will come over and vote with the Republicans? They have in the past. We'll see. House Speaker Tim Moore said ambush votes are not something we're looking at. Moore alluded that Republicans do not need to overcome many votes in a veto override situation. Before we put an override vote on the floor, we're going to have to know we have the votes. Some issues may require overriding Cooper's veto this year include 
voter ID, which is, again, pretty common sense, abortion laws, sports betting, school choice, Second Amendment legislation, despite Speaker Moore's bad faith attempts to bend the rules to consolidate his own power, North Carolina Democrats are prepared to stand up to bad Republican bills and uphold Governor Vito's Governor Cooper's veto, said current Democrat Party chairwoman and former state representative Bobby Richardson. Uh, listen, if these bills are so bad that the Republicans are putting forward, why do they keep getting keep getting reelected? <laughs> What I mean, not only getting reelected, but uh, supermajority in the Senate and one vote shy of a supermajority in the House. Uh, listen, uh, again, bottom line is Cooper wants plenty of power, plenty of time to twist arms. Just saying. I will say this. Kudos to Cooper on this. Uh, you would think this would be a slam dunk, but kudos to Cooper. People using state government computers and mobile phones will lose uh, access to TikTok and web chat, according to Governor Cooper, as he issued an executive order prohibiting the use of those applications on state-issued devices. The announcement comes two weeks after two Republican state representatives sent a letter to Cooper requesting the TikTok ban. Executive Order 276 directs the chief Uh, information officer of the North Carolina Department of Information Technology to develop a new policy within 14 days. The policy would prohibit TikTok, WeChat, and potentially other applications on state agency information technology systems in a manner that presents an unacceptable cybersecurity risk, according to a new release from the governor's office. Um, so I'm assuming that that's going to be the rule, whether they will be, they, they will it doesn't sound like they have a uh, way to block these applications other than the fact that it would be wrong if someone downloaded them onto a state government issued device or computer question is what is going to be the uh, punishment if indeed someone goes against the rules and decides to uh, download it anyway town halls reporting on a new poll Do Republican voters want House Republicans to work with Democrats or focus on opposition to Democrats? Now, granted, this poll is of Republican-leaning voters. It's not all voters, Republican-leaning voters. And there's another category of MAGA voters in this poll. So what do you think, you know, Republican-leaning voters, if you were to follow the mainstream media, you would come to the conclusion, well, overwhelmingly, they want to work, you know, the, the voters want Republicans to work with Democrats. And apparently that's the poll that Tom Tillis usually reads, along with a lot of other uh, Republicans. Interestingly, and by the way, this was from CBS News. So this was not a right wing organization that did this poll. According to the poll from CBS and YouGov, Republican-leaning voters said 48% of them said they want to see Republicans work with Biden and the Democrats. Those who want Republicans to oppose Biden and Democrats was 52%. Now, if you slide over to the MAGA Republicans, 32% of them want to 
see the Republicans work with Biden and the Democrats. 68% want them to oppose. Uh, Listen, here's the bottom line, though. And I go back to Jesse Helms. You know, I know a lot of, well, I'm sure a lot of the listeners to News and Views loved Jesse Helms. Some people thought he was uh, too stringent on, you know, not, not, not willing to give a little bit on certain issues. But here's the bottom line. Jesse Helms was consistent, and Jesse Helms never had an issue being reelected. He was consistent with his values. That's the bottom line. Republicans need not to read the polls, not to read what the papers are saying, not to read what the Washington Post or the, or the News and Observer is writing about the issues or about them. They need to do the next right thing. If they were elected as a conservative, continue to embrace your conservative values. And, and listen, all you've got to do is what people need to do is they need to go to small what politicians need to do is they need to go to small town newspapers and read what the uh, opinion pieces are from the citizenry of their communities and not necessarily flaming liberal papers because uh, <laughs> a lot of conservatives don't even read those but uh, I, look the the average person is fed up with teacher unions they're fed up with these school boards that, uh, you know, the story out today, uh, where was it? Out in Iowa, of all places. You'd think that would be fairly conservative. Parents expressed outrage after the concerns over a proposed school policy that it would allow biological boys and girls to use restrooms and locker rooms. That was shut down by a local school board. So the parents were upset that they were going to have guys and gals using the same locker room and bathrooms in, a, in Idaho schools. Parents went to object, and the school board shut them down. People are sick and tired of that. They're sick and tired of being gaslit by those kind of people that said you're, you're somehow mean, you're not loving, you're not giving a, a fair shake to these transgenders. If, if you do what is right for little girls, for women, that they could embrace sports. Again, yesterday we had a story out in West Virginia where a judge says no. You know what? We're going to go with the biological sex. This is what people want. They want common sense to be kicked in. And by the way, we got to take a time out, but we're going to talk more with uh, Delano Squires about this very thing. He's on next. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings. The extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. Classified materials next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? And by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay. Classified information just out there in the open. No place for hypocrisy. What happens next? Let's see what happens. Happens here. This is really crazy. More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Delano Squires is a research fellow at the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. He's also a contributor to Blaze Media. He writes about faith, family, and culture. As well, he uh, joins Jason Whitlock on the Fearless podcast. 
Uh, Delano's articles and essays have been published in Newsweek, The American Conservative, The Federalist, The Institute for Family Studies. Delano is a black man who was raised in Washington, D.C. Uh, you can follow him, by the way, at Delano Squires. Delano, welcome into News and Views. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hey, Tom. Thanks Thanks for having me. One, one quick correction. I was raised in New York City. Oh, you were? Okay. I live, yeah, I've lived in the D.C. area for about 15 years. Okay. Well, thanks for, for that correction. Uh, you read a recent article. And, and by the way, uh, what we're going to talk about is, you know, we're going to focus a lot on the family in this interview. We're mm-hmm. also going to focus on the role of fathers and how uh, our society has vilified fathers. In many cases, mm. fathers have abandoned their responsibility. They procreate, but they don't fulfill their role as as dad and husband. Um, you wrote recently in The Federalist, those conservatives who want to shape the growing pro-family movement emerging on the right must be willing to embrace a controversial and countercultural reality. Healthy families require strong, stable, and secure men. That means Republicans interested in crafting pro-family policy must focus on the well-being of America's boys and men. Delano, how did we get to the point that something that is so common sense has become controversial and countercultural? That's a great question. I think this is what happens when, and I'll, I'll use a simple analogy, you turn something that's a buffet into an a la carte meal. So there was a point where a person, for lack of a better term, paid one a, a person paid one price and they got uh, marriage, so so lifelong commitment and partnership as well as children. But when you separate those things and you make make it seem as if they really have no uh, connection to one another, then uh, ultimately what what ends up happening and what has happened in our case is. We've said, well, children can still fare well if women are empowered. Uh, and, and as I say, for a little further down in that piece, um, the left has spent decades supporting the notion that empowering women, quote unquote, empowerment, the way they, that they define empowerment, um, will empower children and communities in the country and everything will take care of itself. But no society teaches its women that it is their responsibility to take care of adult males and the children that that men and women have together. Um, so in their efforts to neglect men and to um, promote, again, female empowerment in the way that they define it, they have neglected the needs of boys and men, whether those needs be spiritual, um, social, educational, or economic. And I think that's a big reason why we find ourselves here at this point. How do we begin to turn the ship around? I mean, this has been going on for decades, literally, uh, as the government has, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, the government has awarded this kind of lifestyle, rewarded this kind of lifestyle. How do we, and and can we turn it around by uh, either penalizing or awarding, uh, you know, men and women coming together and raising a family in, in the traditional biblical sense? Absolutely. And I, and I think part of what um, government's role and responsibility is, and I say this as a, as a Christian, um, is to punish evil and reward good, right? So we, sure. should, we should always incent, use public policy, um, and not just policy, right? Use, use the pen, the purse, and the pulpit, the bully pulpit, 
to reward those things that we think are good. Um, and the natural family is good as God designed it. Um, that, that, that is a, a good and just and right thing. So I think um, there's a lot that can be done, you know, outside of the law um, to promote the types of family structures that we know provide the best social and emotional outcomes for children, as well as the best opportunities for sort of interpersonal fulfillment for, for men and women. Um, so a part of this is going to mean uh, a complete um, a, a seismic shift in the way that all of us on both the left and the right um, think about what it means to have a good life. Um, many of us, even some, some, you know, self-professed Christians and conservatives um, have completely bought into the less notion that, that a good life is all about economic growth and a high salary. But, but when you think that way, whether you're a man or a woman, um, it becomes that much easier for you to turn over uh, your responsibilities for raising the next generation to people who oftentimes do not share our values. So, so later on in the piece, I talk about the daycare to demisexual pipeline that occurs when people basically hand over their kids um, to this generation's uh, class of teachers and educators, which it seems there's a disproportionate number of them who are pink-haired with septum rings and, um, you know, gen- gender yeah. theory degrees from liberal arts colleges. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's hard to it's hard to argue though with the percentages uh, the percentages specifically of successful men who had a father or a father figure in his life. I think of Clarence Thomas, who his dad wasn't mm-hmm. there, but his grandfather really was a surrogate uh, a, a father for him and really taught taught him values. And the flip side of that coin is the percentage of men in prison who had no father. I mean, when mm-hmm. we see these school shootings, there's a lot of common denominators and one of the at the top of the list is uh, the the individual that was the perpetrator of these crimes had no dad in his life yeah, you, you yeah, i mean you really hit the nail on the head and even when sometimes a person may have a father um that that theme of young men who are disaffected and disconnected runs through many of these incidents if, if not most um and it's one of those themes that cuts across all of the different ethnic groups. Um, so, I mean, I, I, if you go back a couple of years and you'll find shooters of every ethnic persuasion and it, it tends to be the same type of story. Hmm. Um, you know, families that are that are fractured, because you and I know this, Tom, it's, it's possible for um, a child to ask to live with both parents under the same roof and dad still be absent. Right. It's possible for him to be physically present but emotionally absent and unaware of anything that his children are doing and unwilling um, to contribute to, to the rearing and discipleship of those children. So um, we, we, we have a lot of issues in the family and, and the, the left has its own perspective on family. And, and particularly I, I think about this as it relates to the outreach to the black community, they are much more passionate and intentional about promoting abortion um, than they are about marriage and a nuclear family. Um, so it, I think in the short term, it's going to be up to um, conservatives, and particularly religious conservatives, to say, hey, if, if we want to see progress in any area of our society, we need to get back to operating in the world as God designed it. 
We're talking to Delano Squires. He's a research fellow with the uh, Heritage Foundation. Delano, how, and I'm sure you've thought about this, how do you uh, embrace the uh, situation with compassion and yet turn it around? In other words, we don't want to turn our back on the single mom who's trying to raise the, the child, mm. but at the same time, how do we also make it clear that this is not the ideal? I mean, again, we talk about percentages, you know, the, the percentages of children that grow up with a two-parent intact family that end up mm-hmm. being successful in terms of their education and going on and having a good career. I mean, those those numbers that you, you cannot deny those numbers. But how, how do you how do you say no and and yet be compassionate at the same time? Um, that, that's a great question, and I think it's a question um, that applies to a number of different issues sort of in this family space. Um, I think part of it is using different tools for different tasks, right? So um, the way you would um, relate with, interact with, talk to a single mom who's doing her best to raise her children, right, which is honorable right? because she's the one who stayed to raise the kids. Um, is different than the way you would talk to an academic or a politician or um, an entertainer who's promoting the notion that more single mothers is is good for society. So I think for the for the for the single mom, what she needs is is care and compassion. Now she still you know needs to hear those things that are that are true. And oftentimes single moms will be the ones who say, I, I don't want to do this again because raising kids by by myself is hard. Um, but when it comes to the people who are promoting these ideas, these destructive ideas, um, I, I think we we need um, those are the people I think on whom you can sort of drop the hammer, for lack of a better term. Um, in the same in the same thing in terms of you know, gender ideology, right? You know, if if a if a person is speaking to someone, particularly a young person, who feels they were born in the wrong body, quote unquote. And, and let's say has taken steps, whether they're on hormones or had surgeries, to try to, quote-unquote, change their sex. Uh, that, that is a person who, who deserves care and compassion, um, and particularly for, for if you're a, a believer, someone who, who really needs to hear the gospel and, and to know that God loves them and that his love extends to his design for their body and that, um, you know, that they can find forgiveness for their sins at the cross and so on and so forth. But that person is a lot different, again, than the ideologues who are driving this, who should know better. Um, and those are the people who I don't think we should give a single inch. Um, we shouldn't play any of their games around you know, pronouns or any of the other things. Um, and we should be, be willing to confront them wherever they pop up in the public square. You know, the, the, the challenge of that is when conservatives and Christians speak up to the issue, as you've just uh, uh, very well uh, enunciated, they are branded as uncompassionate, uncaring, self-centered, and, and all they want to do is just, you know, beat down on the people who need to be lifted up the most. They turn around and they promote giveaway programs, which all those giveaway programs do is encourage the lifestyle. 
how, how would you, uh, if you were in the position that you were debating this issue, how would you respond mm-hmm. to someone that would accuse you of being uh, unkind, not compassionate, and you know, all, all you want to do is, uh, you know, the, the typical the typical response is you just want to uh, make yourself rich and you don't want to, you know, give your fair share. I mean, I think one of the first things I would say is that no human being can beat God at loving his creation. So um, the notion that I can redefine love and that particularly in this instance, that love would express itself through, uh, you know, hormones, castration, mutilation, that that love expresses itself in a 16 year old girl cutting off healthy breast tissue and getting a hysterectomy um, because she at some point feels like she was born in the wrong body. I I would reject those notions outright. Um, And and I wouldn't allow people on the other side of the debate um, to extort me emotionally. And I think to your point, conservatives oftentimes are um, vulnerable to those types of attacks because everybody wants to be seen as a good person and a loving person and a kind person. Um, but we can't allow ourselves to be extorted by people who think that, you know, chopping a child's body up is an expression of love or who think that, um, aborting or ending, intentionally ending a life in the womb, um, so that a young lady can finish her last year in college is an expression of love. So part of it, I, I wouldn't even play into their game and I would make them defend the things that they believe and have them um, explain to the audience why it is that, again, a, a 16-year-old boy who is having penile inversion surgery um, sounds like the loving thing to do. Yeah, to that end, you wrote in the same piece, critics on the left will undoubtedly accuse conservatives focusing on men of promoting a regressive return to the rigid sex roles of the 1950s. What they fail to realize is the sexual revolution and 60 years of liberal social policy did not destroy patriarchy. It, it, they distorted it by minimizing the importance of men while maximizing the influence male-dominated institutions in every area of American life. You know, I read that and I thought to myself, you know, uh, while feminism and, uh, you know, calling you know men pigs and, and uh, trying to downplay the importance of men, in, in fact, things have only gotten worse since the 1950s mm-hmm. in regard to women being abused and being taken advantage of. I mean, if you look at the sheer numbers again, the, the, these policies have not worked. They've only made it worse. Absolutely. And, and that's why I, I go on to talk about the, the different deformed versions of patriarchy, right? So one of them conservatives will, 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 will immediately recognize and that's bureaucratic patriarchy. Um, that was introduced to the culture through the war on poverty and expansion of the welfare state. Um, so the notion that Uncle Sam now plays the role of husband and father for millions of, of households is one that, again, conservatives understand and, and, and we reject. Um, but the, the second one that I mentioned, corporate patriarchy, is a little harder for conservatives to understand and oppose because uh, in contrast to bureaucratic patriarchy, po- corporate patriarchy provides an opportunity for women to to become financially independent and not 
you know, reliant on the government. Right. But my, my point is that corporations do not love us or our families because the CEOs of some of the biggest uh, multinational corporations in the world would much rather pay women to abort their children so that they can be back on the shop floor or back at their desk than pay for, you know, paid maternity leave. Um, so, you know, that that's that's the second part kind. And, and then the third kind, and I think this is really where you see um, a, re- a really cruel type of abuse pointed towards women is, is trans patriarchy, right? Which further complicates sort of the, the pro-family, pro-life, pro-man ethic by completely scrapping the rules of biological sex altogether. Right. Um, and, and this is the type of patriarchy in which grown men who think that they're women turn around and tell other women what words they can use, um, what facilities they can use, and try to shame those women when they try to speak for themselves. And, and one of the things that I say, I'm not really to the women who feel, feel victimized by this, but to the to to the daughters of the second wave feminist movement, right? The ones who are the most powerful in our society, the ones in corporate media or or you know Fortune 500 companies or in athletics or entertainment, the ones who will not raise a word in protest as quote-unquote trans women like Dr. Rachel Levine, who was born Richard Levine, right? you know, take up all of their, uh, you know, accolades and, and, you know, are named to the first person to do X, Y, and Z. These women, the ones, who, again, who made a career talking about how hard it is to fight sexism, have finally found a group of men that they can submit to. Um, because when Rachel Levine speaks... The, the uh, Rachel Maddow's and the Joy Reeds of the world have no choice but to be silent. You know, we're up against the clock and we've got to bring this to a close. Uh, fascinating stuff, though. But at what point is are, are people going to say, wait a minute, you know, I've, I've bought into this and it's quite obvious it's not working. It, I mean, it's, just, it's common yeah. sense that it won't work. Are we going to come to that point? Y- yes. The only question is, how much carnage are we going to incur oh, well, before we get there? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping we come to that point quickly. And I hope the stories, for instance, of, you know, detransitioners, um, as they become more commonplace in, in American, you know, media and, and particularly with the corporate media, that it wakes people up to the notion that, again, this we did not create ourselves. This world has been designed um, and we get optimal performance when we uh, interact with this world and one another according to the creator's design. Delano Squires with the Heritage Foundation. Again, you can follow Delano at um, on, on Twitter, at Delano Squires. Uh, real quickly, Delano, if you can give me the Reader's Digest in 15 seconds or less, which mm-hmm. is not fair for me to ask, but how did you come to the point as a black man living in New York, moving to Washington, D.C.? What was your foundation that you embraced these principles you've talked about so well today? Uh, I mean, I, I speak of what I know. So, you know, my parents married young. They're still been married over 40 years. Same with the, the parents of my best friends. We grew up in church in a tight, close-knit community. Um, and even though, you know, friends and family may vote different ways, we all have the same values. And those values are not are not dictated, you know, by color or ethnic background. Um, these are biblical values and, and thankfully ones that 
any person, regardless of your background, can access. Delato, thanks for what you do. Keep up the fight. Keep up uh, writing as you have written. And we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, John. Thank you, Delano. Stay with us. I'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. A follow-up story that ties in real well with our interview with Delano Squires. By the way, that was a great interview. Appreciate what he is doing. Uh, and he's right on. Um, women, including former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines, have protested the inclusion of male-to-female transgender athletes in sports. This happened outside the NCAA convention. They handed over a petition and threatening legal action, according to Yahoo News. Gaines, who famously spoke out against transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, took the forefront of a group of reported two two dozen demonstrators. Today, we intend to personally tell the NCAA to stop discriminating against female athletes by handing them a petition that we've garnered nearly 10,000 signatures on it in just a couple of days, said Gaines. The petition reads, to avoid legal action, the NCAA must comply with civil rights law immediately by, one, repealing all policies and rules that allow male athletes to take roster spots on women's teams and or compete in women's events, two, establishing and enforcing rules to keep women's sports female, three, requiring colleges to provide single-sex locker rooms for female athletes. Now, these are all good points, but here's the fourth one they need to put in there to determine whether or not you're a female or a male will be based upon the biological sex you were born with. It's got to be in there because quite frankly, the NCAA is going to read these and say, well, we're doing that because they consider biological men who claim they're women, they consider them biological women. They're not, but the NCAA is all intents and purposes has said, yeah, we'll, we'll, We'll follow those rules. We consider these men women. So therefore, it's fine if they go in there. It's fine if they still have the male anatomy. We're going to consider them women. You're going to either have to shower with them or play with them or quit sports. This is what is truly a war on women. NCAA Director of Inclusion Gene Merrill stated that transgender athletes are indeed playing by the rules. That's the problem, is the NCAA is not playing by the rules, the rules of common sense, the rules of decency. The session also saw a former transgender athlete give commentary. Um, This individual switched from female to male swimming at Harvard. Um, By the way, this individual is losing every race. She, a biological woman, was fairly competitive. When she swam as a woman, she decided she was a man. She's competing with men. She's losing every race. 
the more we learn about bodies and biology and people and the more we understand diversity and equity and inclusion, this individual remarked, uh, she supported the policy that would see NCAA not holding competitions in states that ban transgender athletes in women's sports. This woman, this individual, uh, Skylar Baylor is her name, this individual is proving the point. Proving the point. You cannot win as a woman when you're competing against biological males, even though you're taking quote, chemicals that you think will turn you into a male. They're not. And the inverse is just as true. Biological males who decide, I'm female, and I'm going to take certain drugs that will eventually castrate me, if continued, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and play this game, and I'm going to compete against the women, and I'll win. And the women who compete against the guys, guess what? They're losing. Now, that I'm, I realize there are some extremely gifted women that can beat some men in competition. I realize that. But that's the exception. That is not the rule. The, the way God built our bodies, the way God put us together, the rule is the men are going to have the natural abilities to be more competitive. Just saying. Uh, this goes in the crazy category. Daily Caller is reporting a man wearing women's underwear <laughs> appeared in the Arizona Democrats video during a call to the county board meeting. This from the Daily Caller. Matt Heinz had a Jeffrey Tubin moment. Not him, but Matt Heinz is the only member of the Prima County Board of Supervisors that didn't show up to an in-person meeting this last Tuesday. Instead, he appeared on a Zoom call. By the way, uh, Heinz is the only member who is, uh, well, let me put it this way. In 2008, he became one of the first openly gay members in the Arizona House of Representatives. Uh, He went on the Zoom call, and lo and behold, while he's on the Zoom call, some other man shows up standing behind him in women's underwear. Uh, Heinz quickly turned off the uh, Zoom call, and uh, people acted like they didn't see anything, but it was caught. Hey, again, our thanks to Delano Squires. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.